You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And this week we are talking about season two and sort of our lingering, burning questions about things that were revealed in season two. And as you can gather from the topic that we're covering, there will be spoilers up through the end of season two of Orphan Black. So if you have not seen up through the end of the second season, beware that there's going to be some spoilers. So let's start with some questions that Chris and I came up with as we were doing a marathon rewatch of season two yesterday. A massive marathon rewatch. Yes. We, we should have made a drinking game of it with anytime Stephanie complained about Rachel or anytime I said deserves it. Although you chimed in with the deserves it this time, which I thought was amusing. <laughs> I, I have been just chiming in later in the season. That's true. You did. But yes, it would we should have we should have done a drinking game. I only said puppy once though, so that would have only been a one shot. <laughs> there was a surprising lack of you saying puppy. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, let's start off with some questions that Chris and I came up with and then we also have questions that listeners sent in. Thank you again to people who sent those to us. The first question we came up with was one we figured out the answer to, which made us happy. <laughs> But we thought we'd go ahead and share it anyway, in case other people maybe hadn't made the connection, because the show doesn't, because it's a good show, it doesn't exactly spell out the answer to this one. But we were reminded in watching the premiere that there is a shot at the very end of Kira in the hotel room where Benjamin was holding her, where he kind of roughly brushes her hair and then takes a picture. And first time through... The, the season, first time we saw the episode, we're like, who is that? And then second time, we're like, we still didn't get an answer to the picture, did we? But we did. Because in the second episode, Mrs. S reveals that they, she had had some fake passports made for her and Kira. So that was a passport photo that he was taking of her. I was very proud of myself because I remembered it before we got to that point in the episode. <laughs> it's like, wait, there are passports. <laughs> and of course... When in the second episode, also, we see Daniel Rosen take the tiny little kind of rectangular passport size photo from the Birdwatcher's house. But it just didn't occur to me that that I think that's <laughs> the beginning of the third episode. Okay, but it just didn't occur to me that that was the same photo. Right. So and of course, it's one of those things you're wondering where he got that photo. But, you know, in in doing a rewatch straight through, like, oh, of course, obviously, it's the passport photo. Yeah. So we figured out the answer to that question. We were very proud of ourselves. Chris, especially, because she was the one who had the aha moment. <laughs> Passports. <laughs> Sadly excited about it. And then there may not be a good answer to this one, but in the second episode at the beginning where Helena has been admitted into the hospital and they're trying to figure out who she is. They, they spill the contents of her pockets out on a table and we see it's like crayons and lollipops. And she has a baby picture, kind of an older looking baby picture amongst her personal effects. And I think as we see through the season that she, maybe she got that picture from kind of the cold, the, the archives about cold river because mm -hmm. we see similar photos when, when Sarah's going through those files and through Maggie Chen's locker. Yes, the world's most perfect baby, that sort of thing. Yeah, but I'm curious like, why Helena had it, if it was significant to her for some reason, or if it's just because Helena likes babies, so she took a picture of, of that baby because she liked it. Entirely possible. Yeah. So there may not be a good answer to that one, but I, I think rewatching you do have more context for that photo thinking, oh, we saw similar photos 
amongst the Cold River Archive stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there was, in episode 204, Mrs. S goes and finds Carlton, and Carlton tells her about the ferryman, and I don't remember the guy's name. He gives her a name. Mm -hmm. But what did she do with that information? Because I think the next time we see her after that is at Professor Duncan's house, or what was it? Andrew Peckham. Peckham, thank you. Yes. So, like, what was that info? Because it seems like she already knew Duncan. Yeah, because she makes a comment before they leave. He's talking about how the birds can't feed themselves, and she says, I'll take care of it, and then looks at Sarah and says, I always do. Which, maybe she's just making a comment to Sarah that, oh, I always take care of, of all the details. But it seemed like she was saying she's done that before, like, scheduled a bird sitter for him. Yeah. Or she's come and fed his birds, whatever. So, yeah, it seemed like she knew Ethan Duncan already, knew that he had kind of joined her organization. So I don't know that that information that Carlton gave her led her to Ethan Duncan. So, A, why did she want that information? What is she going to do with it? Did she do something with it already? I'm unclear on that point. Right. And then we've got the murder charges that Dyad essentially framed Felix with in episodes 205 and 206. They went to all the trouble to set it up, and then he got out, and it's never mentioned again, aside from the discussion that Sarah has with Dr. Leakey. Yeah, because I, I really wanted to pay attention for this one to see if they mention it again, and they really don't. Because here, here's what the sequence of events was, right? We have Paul come to Felix's apartment and frame Felix by putting the gun in his hand. So upsetting. Yes. It, it was, again, very upsetting to watch. And then on the phone to Sarah, the threat is, you, Helena, Kira, need to turn yourself over to Dyad, or we're going to frame Felix for murder. Obviously, Sarah did not do that. Instead, when she finds the picture of Ethan Duncan in Maggie Chen's locker, she goes to Leaky and says, you know, Rachel's going to frame Felix. If I bring you Ethan Duncan, will you get the charges reversed? And he says he will. But Ethan Duncan is never turned over to Dr. Leaky. Yeah, Sarah goes to Dr. Leaky after she finds Duncan and offers him Duncan's information, but doesn't offer him Duncan. Well, that was what I was I was trying to imply. She she uh, she's like this guy's still alive. He can get you the original genome if I can find him. And we see like Mrs. S go to Leaky with essentially the same type of deal. I have all of Duncan's information about the synthetic sequences. If I give them to you, will you let me me and Kira go and not come after us? She says nothing about Felix in that transaction. But before Leaky can get any of that information. He's ousted out of Dyad, and Donnie shoots him. So I just have no idea what was the outcome of those murder charges on Felix. Because Rachel seems unlikely to let it go. Yeah. Especially now. If she's still smashing Kira's donated bone marrow and trying to threaten Sarah anyway, she knows how, because she thinks she has the key to, to decrypt the the sequences, I doubt she'd be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I, I dropped those murder charges on Felix. No comment on how terrible Rachel is? Well, she's awful. I, that just kind of goes without saying now. <laughs> <laughs> but you still say it so often, though. Well, because she's awful. Why is she so awful? I don't understand why she's so awful. I know. Anyway, 
But then there's the Cold River Institute. Why was Duncan there? What was his interest? Was he just there to find an alias, or was he there for another reason? Because the the archivist, the lady in charge of the archive, says that he's been there several times. And, you know, he's been in hiding since the lab explosion. So he's been in, in hiding for, you know, 20 years or so. Surely he has had a false identity in that meantime, because he's been in hiding. So it seems unlikely that he was only recently going to the Cold River Institute to find a fake identity. But maybe that's the case. I don't know. But he went there multiple times, and I'm kind of curious why why he was going there, if we will learn more about the significance of the Cold River Institute. Because it got such a creepy introduction, you know, because Helena describes it as the place of screams. That's never, ever good. No, but, and we did get some info, and it seemed like from what Sarah was seeing, because there was an article about eugenic sterilization, that... Perhaps when Duncan went there, I think in the 70s, as part of the Cambridge delegation, that perhaps he was there researching how to make the clones infertile, to make them barren. But the Cold River Institute was also written on, like, Cal's big flow chart. And I don't know. I feel like there's more to the Cold River Institute, and I, and I, and I hope we hear more about it subsequently. Right. It does seem like it has some sort of place in the origins of Project Lita. But then again, why was Duncan there more recently? Yeah, exactly. And then in episode 208, we meet Tony, and Tony is introduced with Sammy. Sammy has just gotten shot, and the whole premise of Tony's plot for the episode is that he has to deliver this message from Sammy to Beth. And the message is that she shouldn't despair because Paul is a ghost just like me. And Tony tells us that Sammy had been in the military, and so they got most of their jobs from military contracts. And he describes the people who shot at Sammy as being suits. And so, to me, that implies that they're from Dyad, probably, right? I guess so. I mean, I think that's our best guess is that people, people from Dyad went after Sammy. But I think it was also strongly implied that Sammy was Tony's monitor. Yes. And if indeed, you know, his message, Paul is like me. So did Dyad find out that Sammy was a double agent like Paul? Is that why they went after him? I would assume so. Are they after Tony too? Because Tony seemed to feel like they were. But if they're Dyad, I don't know that they would necessarily come after him. But it's possible, of course. And so if it's not Dyad, if it's the military instead, why did they want Sammy dead? I, I think it's more likely, though, that it's Dyad. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's some new branch of Prolethians. This is true. This is a possibility. They might wear suits. <laughs> We've met the creepy old school Prolethians. We've met the farming Prolethians. Maybe there's some sort of corporate Prolethian group. So definitely we have we have a big question about who went after Sammy. Of, you know, of course, Tony leaves at the end of the episode. But Felix very specifically says, we're sending you away for now. So I, I think it is safe to assume they'll probably bring Tony back at some point, And maybe we'll get some more information on that little story thread in the future. Here's hoping, right? Yeah. And then these last couple of questions that I had were more kind of what's going to happen next questions rather than 
where was kind of the follow through with with this particular plot thread. But I'm wondering what is going to be the outcomes of both Gracie and and Helena being uh, implanted with with Helena's fertilized embryos. Because we saw the the implantations. I don't know if I'm using exactly the right word, but y'all know what I'm talking about. But those don't always take, right? Sometimes the the embryos fail to implant in the uterine wall. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they will be successful at this point. I think, you know, we can assume that they will be, but I don't know that we know for sure at this point. It's possible to come back and Helena's not actually pregnant or Gracie's not actually pregnant. Right. There's always the possibility, especially with this show. Yes. Because having pregnancies on TV shows, that's often when that starts, people are like, oh, the show is about to jump the shark. And I just don't know about having Helena be pregnant. Like, I could see where it'd be a good storyline, but then what are they going to do with the baby? You know, mm-hmm. when, she, when you add babies to shows like this, it often doesn't go all that well. Right. So... We'll see, though. We'll see. But I'm seeing a lot of people kind of assuming that that Helena and Gracie are both pregnant, but I don't know if they actually will end up being so. I think they do use that terminology in the show at some point, so I think it's probably largely just going with what's been said. But yeah, there is always the option of that not being the case further on in the story. And then there's the question of what Angie will do, because, you know... Will she give up or more likely what new thing is she going to try next season? <laughs> because she doesn't seem likely to give up. I don't think so either. But her ploy with her ploy trying to go undercover and get close to Allison herself failed spectacularly. Her ploy trying to use Vic to get close to Allison ended up failing. So what might she try next, especially now that Donnie has a photo of her and Vic posing, <laughs> you know, go doing something she shouldn't be doing. She's not supposed to be working on this case. So, so yeah, I don't see her giving up, but I'm curious what, what method she has left to employ. Meanwhile, what has she been doing actually at her actual job? Mm-hmm. Apparently, she's had a lot of free time to spend stalking Allison. And then there's all this question uh, for me about Art and his suspension, because he was suspended all season, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And he's been some time taking pictures on the on the Prolethians at the farm. But, you know, did he find any useful information? Does it even matter now that the farm's all burned down if he did find anything? Is he going to come back from suspension next season? So that that wasn't that was still left very much up in the air as to what what was going to happen to Art in the context of his job. Mm-hmm. And then we got a bunch of questions from listeners. So thank you to everybody who sent us questions from Tumblr user your three two four b two one. Now that we are all hanging in the ball pit for the next 10 months, let's talk about Evelyn slash Delphine. I can't think of a single reason why Rachel would have her killed, as some have suggested. Delphine is a gnat to Rachel. Now that Rachel is in flux life-wise, it makes even less sense why Delphine's life would come to an end unless Evelyn wants to end her stay, which I can't see either. So, Delphine alive or super alive? And I'm actually going to question some of your statement here, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to. Because I don't think that Delphine is just a gnat to Rachel. Because Delphine knows stuff, 
you know? Delphine is a credible threat to Dyad. Because remember when she met Rachel, they actually had her sign an additional confidentiality agreement. So, I don't know. I, I think, especially since they've crossed Delphine in the sense that they wouldn't let her stay to help Kazima after getting her super involved with Kazima and, you know, shipping her off to Frankfurt. I just, I, I don't know. Delphine is potentially really mad, and I don't know that she would consider her a gnat. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, well, first, we do think that Delphine as, is alive. Yes, I should have clarified that in the beginning. <laughs> as we said in our finale episode, we do think Del- Delphine is alive. Yes, there's that weird little dream sequence with Cosima, but we think it was just a dream sequence, not not that she was supposed to be some angel or something like that. But I do think, I agree with you, Chris, I, I feel like Delphine is a decent threat to Dyad. She knows a lot, and now she's kind of pissed off. Right. I don't think their plan is now to kill her, but they do need to, they can't just sort of let her go at this point. They need, I think they do still want to control her in some way. I'm just saying she's not insignificant to them. Yeah. Yeah. She knows too much. Yeah. And is too invested as she has stated. So. But yeah, I will agree that I don't think that they, they killed her because she's, she's useful to them, even upset and potentially dangerous. If, if they, you know, cross Delphine too far, she still is useful to Dyad. Yes. Because she is invested in the clones. Mm-hmm. And then we got a couple of questions from Greg. And I should say, with some of these questions that we got from listeners, we did address in our finale episode. And so maybe they, they sent the questions in before they had listened to that or, or what have you. So I apologize for repeating ourselves a little bit. But since people sent them to us, we did want to talk about them. So we got from Greg. He says, I'd like to get some clarification on Paul and Mrs. S. Who are they? Was Paul always in the military? And what was Mrs. S.'s story? So first, let's let's talk about Paul. In the post-season two finale interviews, in several of them, John Fawcett and Graham Manson have said that Paul was always in the military. And this is from the interview they did with Entertainment Weekly. Graham Manson said, Paul has apparently been working with the caster side of the conspiracy the whole time. He's been playing double agent, but he steps up for personal reasons to get Sarah out of this mess in the finale. At the end of the day, Paul, the double agent, has been shady and shadowy and not that likable. But in the end, he did. He did it for Sarah. So per John and Graham, Paul has always been a double agent for the military. But as for Mrs. X, (laughs) there are still big question marks around her intentions and her backstory, for sure. Right. I don't think we really have anything too solid on Mrs. S. We know she's part of some group, or she had been. We know that if that group crosses her, she will take them out in a really serious kind of way. That will cause us to call her Mrs. S. International Badass. And that's mostly what we know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of course, she's, she's involved in some sort of organization that knows about the clone experiments, or at least Project Lita. No, she knew about Project Caster, too. So, you know, about both clone experiments. They seem to be working against them in some way. But yeah, still so many questions about Mrs. S's story. Especially since she's not really old enough to have been involved at the beginning of the project. Right. Which just adds more questions. Right. 
But we were reminded in our in our rewatch that in episode 206, Mrs. S makes a comment to Paul that, you know, if Afghanistan will have been for naught, if you if you do this thing, if you don't do this thing. So how did she know about Paul exactly? And of course, in regards to Paul, even though now we know he has always been a military agent, we still don't know exactly what the series of events was. Did he actually do something in Afghanistan or was it just all fake information for to let Dyad frame him? So I'm thinking probably it was just an elaborate ploy to make it look like he'd done something they could blackmail him for. But I still would like to get a better sense of maybe the chain of events that led to Paul being a double agent in Dyad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I still think it's that they created an elaborate setup that would be appealing to Dyad to blackmail him for. I think that's most likely. But yeah, how Mrs. S knows about Castor or what her involvement was with Castor since she managed to score a meeting with Paul and the other military guys. I don't know. So many questions. And then from Marissa, she asks, Ethan said that the original genesis of Project Lita was that the military wanted little girls, but why? And I guess my thought on this is we don't really know that the military wanted little girls. I think they said that the military wanted clones, but then the military kind of was giving up on the project, and that's when Dyad came in, and Dyad wanted to take it further, and the Duncans wanted to take it further so that they could have babies and subsequently little girls. But as for why, I don't really know. Presumably, the military just wanted clones for military purposes to have what is essentially, and this is going to sound cruel, but I think they wanted expendable army people, right? So people wouldn't have to enlist or, you know, you wouldn't have to gather an army. You could essentially make an army, which by the way, is sort of the premise of the third episode of Star Wars. But anyway. And then the second question that Marissa sent us was I've always gotten the impression that Gracie is younger than Mark, and hence their attraction was creepy to me. But in the finale, they got married, and no one batted an eyelash or asked for parental consent. Is that not a thing in Canada? How old do we think Gracie is? 16, maybe? The actress who plays Gracie is Zoe de Grand Maison, who is 19. So, yeah, I suppose in TV years, she would seem like she's, like, 15. But <laughs> I, I think we're supposed to think Gracie is... Probably, I don't know, 17 or 18, maybe? That was always my impression, or maybe a little older. I actually thought the actress was older than she was. So, so but but I always had the impression that, that Gracie was more like 18 or so. But according to, as far as sort of age of marriage in Canada, according to Wikipedia, there's there's sort of different ages for different provinces so most of them, it looks like 18 or over. In British Columbia, it's 19 or over. And then in Quebec, it's the legal age is 16. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So even though if, if the show is set in Ontario, they could have maybe driven to another province where they didn't have to be quite as old. And we know Mark for sure is, is supposed to be 19, even though the actor's like 40. <laughs> he's not that old. He's not 40, but he's older. <laughs> <sighs> but then anybody who watches Glee knows that they hire 30-year-olds to play high school students, so whatever. 
<laughs> and then Marissa also asks, what do you think is coming up for Sarah next season? Do you think there will be a time jump in between seasons? Will Sarah be focused on helping Kasima get better and finding Helena or something else? I have no idea what is coming up for Sarah next season because I never know. Because it's the show, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> As for a time jump in between seasons, I think this is a good place for them to do a little bit of a time jump if they want to. I think things ended in a way that they can easily go forward maybe a few months. I don't know. Will they do it? I don't know. It seems like it would be wise of them to jump forward at least a little bit because the little girls that they've introduced now are going to grow up. And so, you know, jumping ahead a little bit might not be a terrible idea because they won't stay this young for long. You know what I mean? Yeah, because we've, we, besides, we've always said we've had Kira and Gemma from the beginning. And then, of course, Oscar also young. But now we have we have Charlotte as well. So definitely there's a ticking time clock on those characters. They can't keep the timeline as concentrated as it was between seasons one and two for, for very long because they're going to start looking much older than eight. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, I agree. I feel like they could maybe do a, a small time jump a month, a couple of months, something like that. I doubt it'll be a huge one, though. Right. I mean, Kasima's sick, so you don't want to make mm -hmm. her too much sicker, I would think. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to jump to her being already cured because I think a lot of us would feel cheated by that, right? Yeah. <laughs> After all the struggle this season. Anyway. And... Because the, the only thing that I... That makes me think, mm, maybe they won't do a time jump is Helena's fertilized embryos that she left mm -hmm. and the need to discover those and figure out what to do with them. But that I would be more forgiving if they explain that in a few sentences, like, Oh, we developed a, we're developing a temporary treatment for Cosima based on these things that Helena left. Right. But, but yeah. So yeah, we think maybe small time jump, but probably not a big one. If we had to guess, that would be our best guess. Yeah. But as for what's going to come up for Sarah next season, who knows? <laughs> Pretty much. This show. Collaborating with Marion Bowles in some regard, I'm guessing. But that's my best guess. Yeah, probably. But yeah, in, in what regard or what all it is that they're doing, who knows? Yeah. And then the final question we got from Marissa was, do you think Rachel will continue to be the big bad next season? Originally thought I thought Marion would be taking over, but since she adopted Charlotte, that seems unlikely now. Yes, for sure. I don't think Marion Bowles is going to be a big bad. She seems to be an ally. As for Rachel, I think it's not a bad possibility that she will at least be a kind of adversarial force in the third season as we've seen she's very desperate and she takes things actions against her very personally i was going to say in the last episode we have her in dialogue with kira she says something about your mother laid hands on me do you know what that means <laughs> and of course there's the whole comment about rachel taking insults very personally and you know Given how mad she was that Sarah laid hands on her, and now Sarah has embedded a pencil in her, I don't think this is going to go well. Yeah. Rachel can only get madder, right? Yeah, I I agree. But, I mean, there was, however, that conversation between Marion Bowles and Leaky, uh, where Leaky was saying that, you know, Rachel's taking things very personally these days, and 
Marion makes some comment about essentially that Rachel might be removed from her position. So it's, I guess it's possible that she could be removed from her position at the dyad and she would have less power, but I, I would still see her being adversarial towards Sarah, even if that were the case. But the episode where she says that to Leaky is also the episode where Marion Bowles teams up with Rachel to remove Leaky from his position by force. Right. I know. I know. But I know, you know, I'm just, I'm just the saying. The suggestion it. was out there that it, it, it is a possibility that Rachel could be removed from her position at the dyad, which would give her a lot less access to resources to go after Sarah. Right. But would also probably make her a lot angrier. Exactly. So I think she, even if she didn't have dyad's resources, she could still be an adversarial force against Sarah. Yes. I think it's quite possible they are, they will introduce, well, there's always been multiple kind of baddies in the season. So it's possible that Rachel might not be the primary one, but I think she'll still be still be not too fond of Sarah next season. Yes. Still be in play. Yeah. And then Rebecca sent us something that I think she said she posted it on on Tumblr. And she acknowledged that we answered this first point, but I, I think we have gotten some talk about this. So we'll go ahead and talk about it again. Uh, she said, does Mark know he's a clone? Did he escape from the military and get sucked into the Prolethean farm by chance? Or was he working for the military all along? Is he still working for the military, shepherding Gracie and her Helena embryo to his bosses so they can make adorable but deadly Ukrainian super soldiers? They would be adorable but deadly. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, we found out from, I think you said it was the TV line interview with Graham and John, right? Yes. That Mark did not know he's a clone. They give a fairly definite answer, <laughs> which is the best that they usually do. So TV Line asked them directly, Mark's not aware that he's a clone, right? And John answered and said, Mark isn't. No, we don't think that he is. <laughs> so things could change, <laughs> but as it stands now, probably not. <laughs> but they're liars, we know now, also. So Yes, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> It's it's a best answer we have kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we may get some more a different answer next season, but it really didn't seem to me that he knew he was a clone. And so I think he escaped from the military and got involved with the Prolethians by chance. Mm -hmm. Although one does wonder how that happened. Yeah. Yeah. See, because here's the thing, and this kind of gets into something that that Marshall asked. So let me go ahead and, and read part of, of something that was bothering Marshall. Marshall was saying that he wonders why Henrik didn't breed Mark with Helena since Mark is a clone. And there is sort of this question now of, we know the Perlethians are aware of clones and have shown themselves to collect clones, right? Because they took Helena in. Mm -hmm. There's this question of, did Henrik take Mark in knowing that he was a clone, even if Mark didn't know? Yeah. So, because, you know, it does seem unlikely, or not unlikely, but very fortunate, I guess, that a, a clone who didn't know he was a clone stumbled upon the Prolethians who are interested in clones. So did Henrik know that Mark was a clone? I don't know. The I... I'm inclined to think no, just because they also have not been shy, the Prolethians, that is, have not been shy about talking about clones to the clones. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, they did try to brainwash Helena into thinking she was the original. 
but they told her about the ideas of clones, etc., etc. We see Henrik being really excited about Helena being a fertile clone. So I just don't see them keeping that a secret from Mark. It just doesn't seem likely. Right. And that also brings up another point. Even if they did know that Mark was a clone, who's to say that Mark would be fertile or that any of the caster clones would be fertile? Since they deliberately made the Lita clones infertile, why would they not do the same to the caster clones? Right. So that might be a reason as to why, even if Henrik knew that Mark was a clone, he might not have bred Helena and and Mark. Because it might not have been possible. Yeah. But I think it is fair to wonder if Henrik knew that Mark was a clone, even if Mark didn't know that he was a clone. Mm-hmm. So there is still questions about about Mark and how much he knew, how much Henrik knew. But given that they didn't decide from the writers have said they didn't decide who the the caster clone was going to be until the finale they didn't maybe have the best opportunity to set up whether henrik would have known or not and we're certainly not going to learn it from henrik now (laughs) nope (laughs) so moving on to rebecca's second question in the finale, Mrs. S is talking on the phone to somebody and she says you know if i tell you to build a car bomb you'll build a car bomb And Rebecca asks, you know, why did Mrs. S order someone to build a car bomb? Was it in reaction to the Kira situation? Or is that just a normal Tuesday for her? (laughs) (laughs) I would think it wouldn't be a normal Tuesday for her. (laughs) That's not to say that it's an uncommon occurrence, (laughs) necessarily. I don't think it would be a common occurrence, but uh, I think I got myself off track. (laughs) But I think it was definitely in reaction to the Kira situation. Yes. I believe I've, I've... Ren online, somebody else heard the line differently. So if y'all think I'm wrong and there's a different reading of the line, please tell me. But I think what Mrs. S said, says on the phone is, Amber Alert is not an option. If I tell you to build a car bomb, you build a car bomb. That is what I heard also. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was in reaction to the Kara situation, especially with that reference to the, to an Amber Alert. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she was said that just as I think as they were dealing with all, with the whole Kara being kidnapped situation. But I am curious who she was talking to. We we don't know. Right. Yeah. Was it Benjamin? Was Is Carlton still in town? I don't know. I think there was implication at some point that she still had people in her network. So who knows? Who knows who exactly Mrs. S. International Badass knows? And then Rebecca's third point was the very complicated clone deal. She says, okay, let's see if I've got this right. A. Mrs. S. agrees to have her people nab Helena and hand her over to the military. B. So the military will let Paul give the top-secret red folder of boy clone data, and then in parentheses, question mark, to Marion Bowles. C. Who convinces the Cabal to let her call Dyad off Sarah and Kira. D. In exchange for a boy clone of their very own. E. And because being an adoptive clone mama has made her a card-carrying member of the SPCC which I'm going to assume means Society for the Protection of Clone Club. Society for the, for the Prevention of Cruelty to Clones is, is, I think, what she's going for. I think, more or less, that is correct. I got the impression Miriam Bowles already had the caster clone. I wasn't sure. I've sort of been mentally going back and forth on that. Well, because what she tells Sarah is that, she, uh, in regards to why she wanted data on Project Caster, was that... She had suspicion of another agenda besides profit, 
because Sarah is the one who brings up profit. But she didn't have confirmation until Mrs. S gave her that folder. Okay. So I, I think what she was wanting was data on Project Caster having another agenda. I got the impression she already had the Caster clone in her basement or wherever. <laughs> Somewhere on her grounds. That was weird, though, right? <laughs> yes, it was. But I think the rest of it is is more or less right. And yes, this this was a kind of a complicated clone deal because we had multiple people wanting things and having to trade things to get what they wanted. And it wasn't just a one-for-one trade because it started with Mrs. S wanting to get Sarah and Kira freed from Dyad. Cal had this contact in Dyad, and that contact, Marion Bowles, wanted data on Project Caster. Mrs. S didn't have that data, but she had Paul, who could get her that data. So to get that data from Paul, it seems like she agreed to turn Helena over to him, essentially. Right. So that him, then he gave that data to Marion Bowles. Yes. So there was two trades for information, not just a one-for-one one trade. Yeah. Caster wanted Helena. Mrs. S wanted Sarah. And, and Kira. Can't forget Kira. Right. Sarah and Kira. Sorry. <laughs> and... Marion Bowles wanted info from Caster. So, yeah. And Paul helps because he wanted to help Sarah. Yeah. Even though he was a meanie head this season, he does still still seem to, to care about Sarah. He was gone for half the season, though. He was. He was. There's not a lot of Paul in season two. Maybe we'll see more of him with the introduction of the Caster project. Yeah. So, like we mentioned, Marshall had... Seems like some major annoyances with why Henrik didn't breed Mark with Helena. And and I think probably the main reason, they didn't decide that Mark was a clone until very late, it seems like. So I, I don't think it would have been a possibility, even if they decided, even if they decide sort of like looking backward, that Henrik knew that Mark was a clone. I like, they just couldn't have done it. I don't, because I don't think they had decided who was going to be the caster clone at that point. Plus, Henrik was apparently on some sort of mission from God, wherein he was told by God that he should do this thing. Yeah, and actually that, it makes sense to me, because it really seemed to be a, a kind of a cult of personality going on there. Exactly. And and Henrik wanted to, though people like Henrik would not have been interested in having other people sire children. He saw himself as the center of that community. And his duty to create a lot of children. So yeah. it made sense to me as far as that type of personality type seems to go. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think Henrik would have because it's all about Henrik. The writers hadn't decided that Mark was a clone at that point. And I don't know that we know that Henrik knew Mark was a clone. So there we go. So there's three reasons why. <laughs> and also caster <laughs> clones might be infertile also. Yes. There, oh, there we go. So four reasons why that might not have happened. And then Marshall also says, speaking of ugly inconsistency, I'm really bummed Helena made no mention whatsoever of those countless incest children that she apparently orphaned, you know, the way Amelia did to her, which she rewarded her for with a knife in the belly. All I was asking for is just one scene where the writers acknowledged what happened to the kids and that Helena is at all concerned about that. Hell, she's getting shipped off to the military, so they have the excuse to conveniently sweep those kids under the rug anyway. Yet not one mention of that elephant in the room. I feel kind of uncomfortable with how that big loose end was ignored given Helena's solidarity with children. 
I do love the season, but now that it's done, I'm starting to pick it apart the more I think about it. Help! Okay, Marshall, so here's the thing. I, I don't know if we can necessarily call them incest children. I don't think they were incest children, because I think... It seems like they brought in a bunch of different women, and it probably Henrik sired at least a lot of them, right? It seems like, because again, cult of personality. But... Yeah, and the women that we saw who are pregnant were in their 30s, 20s or 30s, and he said that Gracie was his eldest. So I don't think they were incest children, because even the, the eggs that he implanted in Gracie, she's the surrogate, essentially. They're they're his kids, but she's but not with the mother. Helena. Yeah, so I don't know that we can call them incest children, but the the children on the farm. But I kind of, I'm with Marshall on this. I, I think it was a mistake that they didn't tie that up. I'm glad that they at least mentioned it in post-episode interviews. And I get that economy of time, they they really, maybe not economy of time, just lack of time, they ran out of time. But it does feel like a big loose end to me as to what happened to those kids. Yeah, I agree. But I also think that there was enough. I mean, that the fire was significant enough that I feel like probably, you know, emergency services were on their way pretty fast. But they're out in the middle of nowhere. I know. Work with me here. <laughs> okay, here's here's the thing. <laughs> Let's say that Helena maybe made a call on her way out <laughs> to I emergency thought, services. I thought about that too, but then I was like, but I haven't seen a phone anywhere on that farm. Work with me, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> we do know, I will go with you, we do know that Helena knows how to call for emergency services. So if she found a phone, I think Helena would have called the fire department. You know, just as soon as she made sure that the kids got far enough away and that the fire had sufficiently cleansed the place. Yeah, I think I think Elena would have called in somebody. So in my mind, this is my headcanon. In my mind, the kids have been taken by emergency services to foster care. And I'm going to argue a little bit here with this argument about the way Amelia did to her, because the problem was that Amelia left her essentially where the Prolethians got her. So I'm thinking that in Helena's mind, she is freeing these kids from the kind of childhood she had. Yeah, because I believe before she or when she's stabbing Amelia, she says something like you let them do this to me to that something to that effect. So I think her big beef was that Amelia turned Helena over to a, an organization of people who abused her and made her into this murderous psychopath. Right, because Sarah's the one who was put into the care of the state. And I think Helena thinks that Sarah is awesome. Right. And, you know, that Mrs. S took care of her and everything growing up. So, yeah, because I think she actually refers to Mrs. S's mother, or she refers to mother's house, right? Isn't that what it yes. was? So. In my mind, I think Helena thinks that she's done these kids a favor in putting them in the same care, more or less, that Sarah had. Yeah. Because she even saw the way that the midwife treated that one little girl. Right. And so compared I, her to a nun in the convent where Helena grew up. So Yeah. So I, I could see Helena thinking that she had helped these children out of a bad situation. Right. Taking them out of Helena's situation and put them more in Sarah's situation. And then the last questions we got were from Annette. And Annette asks, In the season finale, was Cosima dead or dying and Kara brought her back? Are the male clones brothers to the female clones? Was Mrs. S a part of Project Lita when the clones were created? And I think we don't know 
definitive answers to any of those questions. <laughs> as far as the male clones, the only one that we know is a brother to the female clones is Tony. Is Tony. Yeah. So, and actually, we're trying to make an effort on the show to refer to the clone lines as caster clones and Lita clones rather than male and female because we do have a male Lita clone and we don't want to ignore Tony. So, as to whether the caster clones are brothers to the Lita clones, eh, who knows? If we go by mythology, Lita was mother to caster. So that might be a hint as to the relationship between the Caster clones and the Lita clones. And as we pointed out before, the Lita clones are actually older than the Caster clones. So right, who knows what that means either, right? <laughs> right. Because Mark is only supposed to be about 19, whereas the, the Lita clones were born, it seems like, in like 1984. Mm -hmm. So no definitive answers to either of these, are th I think. I, I don't know that Cosimo was supposed to be dead or dying and Kara brought her back. It's been suggested that maybe Kara is a bit more intuitive than the average kid, but I don't know if she has necessarily healing powers to the effect where she can heal others. She's fast healing herself, it seems, maybe. But I don't know that she's a white lighter. I'm going to make a charm <laughs> reference there. <laughs> Although I am amused that I think it's Kim over at Nerd Element always refers to Kara as an alien. <laughs> I don't think Kira's an alien, but I find it amusing when Kim says that. And then Annette's final question about Mrs. S being a part of Project Lita when the clones were created. Uh, possibly. Again, we have big, big question marks in regards to Mrs. S and her backstory. I find it unlikely, but of course, I think possible. she would have been a teenager at the time. So. Because I think she, well, the actress, I think, is born in like 1964. Well, then she would have been 20. So I don't know. I guess it's possible, but it just seems a little unlikely to me. Yeah, she'd be on the younger side, so not impossible. Right. But, but yeah, uh, unlikely. I suppose it's even possible that she was one of the surrogate mothers or something, since they maybe took advantage of like young women to create the club. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. it's, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it is possible. Uh, I don't think we have a really good good sense of her her backstory at all just clearly she knows about the clone project has known for a while seems to be involved in an organization against the clone project but still mrs s's past big question mark yep so thank you again to everybody who sent in questions we really appreciate you contributing to this episode let us know what your burning questions are now that season two is over. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com slash 39. Or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right hand side of the website. We're also on Twitter at TIE podcast. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tatiana is everyone. And this week, the adorable but deadly Ukrainian super soldiers were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs>